This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. Our CEO several years ago defined our role to say that our organization will lead this community to become one of the healthiest in America. So that was the first time in our organization's 160-year history that our vision was really externally oriented. Hi, welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Trevor Dorin. Today, we're trying something a little different. I don't have any live guests or panelists, and that doesn't mean you have to hear me talk for 20 straight minutes. I'm going to use audio from our executive summit panels over the summer because many of the panelists touched on two key themes that we keep hearing are areas of strategic focus and of big challenges for health system, and that's workforce and how to approach the new focus on health equity. Hope you enjoy it. This is a series of answers and discussions in which the panelists talked about how they're approaching workforce challenges. This continues to be an immediate challenge, but I love that many of these solutions were longer term focused, they're tailored to market specific needs, and each of them had kind of a different creative flavor. First up, we'll hear from Dr. Elisa Cole, System Vice President of Population Health and Innovation and Policy from Common Spirit Health. Here is just the uh, importance of thinking through your partnerships as it relates to your workforce. At Common Spirit, we have very strong affiliations with two historically academic health centers or medical schools, Baylor College of Medicine and Creighton School of Medicine. However, recognizing the need for a more diverse workforce, there's already a need currently, and that need is anticipated to grow tremendously over the next 10 or 15 years. We just launched a, a new partnership with Morehouse School of Medicine and looking at how we can expand actual training sites so that Morehouse is able to expand their class sizes and train more diverse providers. Leveraging your partnerships as it relates to workforce is another thing to be thinking about from a strategic standpoint. Next, we're going to hear from Chris Watts, who's the Chief Strategy Officer for BJC Healthcare. For BJC, we expanded our nursing school to include PhD programs, jointly conferred with our partners at WashU School of Medicine to increase the teacher pipeline. Many of you know our colleagues at Washington University have largely specialty-based programs, so we've also done a little bit of work around primary care and other residency pipelines uh, on the primary care side. And then we've reached out into the community on the DE&I front and looking at health equity within our communities to trade education, skills, schools, and the like, even reaching outside of healthcare. So partnering with the construction industry where we consume a lot of services to help build the employee pipeline in those spaces. Clearly a huge focus looking internally on stabilization of the workforce. And we believe that's a core part of our commitment to the community and building capabilities in other areas beyond healthcare as well. Finally, I also want to hear from Sarah Giolando, who's the Chief Strategy Officer at St. Elizabeth Healthcare in Kentucky. At St. Elizabeth, we also, in our very tight labor market, we did work with the UK College of Medicine, which is about two hours away from us in Lexington, and they were really space-constrained on growing their medical school program. So we launched with Northern Kentucky University a version of the UK College of Medicine. It's a full-on accredited UK medical school that now is running 30 students through a year. 
We just got them at the hospital this year and they're looking at expanding residency programs. The needs are much more broad-based though than providers. Certainly the nursing core is critical and we're working as far down as high schools to try to create a long Mm -hmm. pipeline. We have several high schools. We have some introduction programs to health programming so that we can look at that. We don't have a lot of diversity in Northern Kentucky and believe that as the largest employer, we can really change the landscape to be more diverse by focusing on diverse populations and also other underserved populations. We're the center of the opioid epidemic or one of the many centers, perhaps, really looking at how we can take people in recovery programs and other programs, people that are getting out of jail and really working with some community partners to get them trained into career-oriented programs that they can come back and then work in the healthcare system in safe environments. Just trying to really think as outside of the box as we can to do two things, support people in recovery and to support people re-entering the workforce. We also have a program with veterans as well from that perspective, just create stable employment, which we're not there yet at all. We continue to hear from health system leadership teams and boards that health systems need to get serious about how they're going to participate in improving the health equity of the communities they serve. And so this is the first of two questions where the group talks about the role that they're playing in health equity. To share their experience first working on health equity, we're going to hear from Tracy Gates, who's the chief operating officer at Cayuga Medical Center in New York. Cayuga is a 212-bed hospital in Ithaca, New York. We also have a sister hospital, a critical access hospital in Watkins Glen, New York area. We also have a nursing home, and we're a 200-provider outpatient practice system with all the outpatient services, quite a large service area. And we're wrapped around by a clinically integrated network that has a real big focus on provider and payer relations, as well as population health and a real focus on creating health equity, as well as focus on improving the population's health. We're pretty proud of some of the work that we're getting ready to embark upon. From an operations perspective, to do with the workforce, we're going to have to look at them differently. How are we going to meet them where they are? I actually, coming out of COVID, rounded with every single department and said, What do you need from us post-COVID? How is your world different? And I heard a resounding, we need help with work-life balance. We need help with daycare. We need help understanding um, how we can work remote. How can you support us in doing that? And those are things that as health systems, we haven't talked about. I got out of a daycare system and a health system 10 years ago. So we're really starting to think about doing the most unconventional things that, that we've ever done. We're just making pay increases that we've never made before. So really trying to look at cost containment in other areas so that we can handle the new cost that's coming at us from the workforce demands in a post-COVID world. That's also really going to change the payer environment. So as our cost goes up, how are the payers going to react to that and how are they going to continue to support us? Wrapping back to that clinically integrated network, how do we create payer arrangements that support that pivot that we're having to make in workforce alignment? Uh, definitely a lot of challenges in front of us. And, you know, we've got committees set up. We've also invested in diversity, equity, inclusion, some of the things that happened over the past year that really have to put a focus in making sure we're aligned with our workforce in that way as well. Next, we're going to hear from Dr. Cole again. I'm a family medicine physician by background, but have ran and implemented health equity, social determinants of health and community health and population health strategies over the course of my career. Most recently, Common Spirit Health, which is the combination of Dignity Health and Catholic Health Initiatives. That combination actually did make us the largest Medicaid provider in the country. 
and commitment to take care of the vulnerable is built into the fabric of everything that we do. One of the key things is actually allowing our frontline clinical and operational leaders kind of drive the work. So identifying what are the needs of their patients and of their communities that they're serving and really looking to some of the national resources to support work that they're trying to do. We have clearly seen over the last 18 months this influx of new positions that are coming out, chief health equity officers and in senior level positions. That's a really good thing because I do think there's a certain skill set that is needed to really help the organization put some of that strategy into place. However, I would caution us to not just make it another silo or fragmentation of medicine and and put all the expectation of the health equity work on that one person or that one senior leader. We really need to build that accountability across all of us. And so uh, for us having a health equity board metric that isn't tied to incentives uh, to one of the other points around how do you align to incentives was critically important. This is just the first step. Our goal is that we will continue to build additional health equity metrics. And we've also put together a visualization of a health equity dashboard and what that looks like. Building that accountability piece across the entire organization is critical. And now we're going to hear the perspective from Sarah Giolando at St. Elizabeth. I'm the chief strategy officer of St. Elizabeth Healthcare. We're just a five hospital system, so it's much smaller than Common Spirit. And we're located in Northern Kentucky, which is part of the greater Cincinnati marketplace. Like Common Spirit, although on a much smaller scale, the social determinants of health and our role in it is very much embedded in our strategic plan. We have an entire community pillar that's dedicated to being the best community partner that we can be. And our vision was crystallized by our CEO several years ago and defined our role to say that our organization will lead this community to become one of the healthiest in America. So that was the first time in our organization's 160-year history that our vision was really externally oriented. And so it wasn't about we're a destination healthcare center. We're going to be the greatest and this, that, or the other was really saying we have to lead. That's our role. Data really reveals the three top social determinants of health priorities in our region based on our region's data. And we're going to share the data and then really brainstorm as a community on where do we need to focus on what resources are already applied against those three areas, where are the gaps, and come up with a community-wide plan. And now here's another series of questions and answers about specifically, what metrics are they paying attention to around health equity? As this is such a new space, we're getting this question a lot. We're developing a whole set of metrics and benchmarks around health equity nationally. But I liked the answers this group had. They were similar in many ways, but each had their own flavor. We're going to go back to Sarah Giolando from St. Elizabeth Healthcare. This is an area that we're all emerging and we're learning in. We actually worked with some of our MHA students at at one of our local universities to help us dig through a ton of data available from state-level data to local health department data. We have our own care coordination data, both on our physician side as well as our hospital side. And so we had them look at the data and then do a host of interviews with those key resources, care coordination, those folks that are really understanding people's social needs when they're face-to-face with them in the clinical setting. Our data reflects what the Cincinnati hospitals have done as well are in transportation, affordable housing, which also includes a focus on caring for the homeless population. Three years ago, our political leaders said, we don't have a homeless situation here. So there's a lot of denial that goes on. And we did a study that helped us get through that. 
the data were pretty clear on where the needs were. And what we want to do is really align the social service agencies to saying, okay, everyone is doing a lot of work in all of these areas. We have a lot of agencies doing great work, but there is some level of competition because there's funding at stake. And so the hope is to bring them all together, recognize that there is plenty to do for everyone. If we come together in a collaborative model, we could probably attract more funding to our region and support all of them in the great work that they're doing. And then there's probably some white spaces that we're not getting to. There may be neighborhoods we're not serving. There may be people who have access issues that we're not seeing. And we may try to solve something in transportation that may create an unnecessary barrier down the road. So one of the things we're doing in the social determinants panel, I'm arranging the discussions right now, is at every solution set, we're going to say, does this have any unintended consequences for any part of the population? Does it create any additional barriers for someone who doesn't speak English, for someone who doesn't access to a car? We want to ask those questions and press on any solutions we come up with. And then we'll go through a whole process of testing those with those target populations to make sure we're not missing something because we're not them. Getting proximate to the people you're trying to serve and hearing from them is going to be a really important part of the process too. And next, we're going to hear from Dr. Cole from Common Spirit again. I would just add that a lot of the publicly available data is lagging data. And so one of the things that we really wanted to concentrate on was actually assessing patients that were coming through our doors real time. How do we start to standardize the screening for social determinants of health? We also fortunately are located in London, Kentucky, and it was one of our pioneer sites of implementing what we call our total health roadmap which embeds community health workers into our primary care offices. Those community health workers really become integrated into clinical workflow versus becoming this own kind of separate entity and really ends up being an extender of the primary care team. The community health workers are using a standardized tool to screen for social determinants and then helping the patients connect to those resources. So even in that real-time data, it aligns with the three areas, housing, food insecurity, and transportation. And then being able to then take that data to drive some of our community benefit, community investment has been critically important. Ultimately, you know, if I'm screening, referring, and connecting patients to resources, how is that actually improving their health outcomes? Being able to do that longitudinal data analytics aspect to say, okay, if I move my patient from food insecurity to food secure, does that improve their diabetes control? Does that improve their hypertension control? Does that reduce their weight? Being able to start linking those health outcomes to the social determinants of health work is, is also critically important. And, and you know, we're well down that path. There are plenty of steps that we need to take in order to get there, but I think ultimately being able to connect to those outcomes, those utilization outcomes, you can look at unnecessary or preventable ED visits, you can look at readmissions. There's a lot of data and research that's coming out that shows us that by addressing these social determinants of health, we can have an impact on utilization, health outcomes, et cetera, and cost. Really having that robust plan in place and data analytics infrastructure is critically important. And finally, we're going to hear from Chris Watts, Chief Strategy Officer at BJC. We had to follow a similar path and we had to get comfortable measuring things that didn't feel like big, great outcomes. To the point about data lag and the time it takes to move the population health metrics, we are very outcomes oriented and we had to get real about the fact we're going to be 
part of an anchor network in the St. Louis region. We're going to have specific initiatives where we invest time and resources. Those initiatives are going to have process and many outcomes metrics for a little while. And in some ways, there's a leap of faith that those tie to the population health outcomes we're after in our community over time. That was hard. to. It took a couple years of trying to figure out the macro metrics to realize we needed to measure what we could based upon where our interventions were pointed. That's not always easy for those of us that are always focused on APIs and quarterly results. Thanks for listening to this new, different, creative episode of SG2 Perspectives. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope it gives you a sense of the types of topics we cover during our executive summits. We have another executive summit series happening in early November. We hope you can join us. And thanks so much for listening to SG2 Perspectives this week. This has been another episode of SG2 Perspectives. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and don't forget to rate and review. We'd love to hear from you. Please connect with us on LinkedIn or Twitter at SG2 Healthcare. You can also reach us via email at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Reach out and let us know what healthcare trends are most important to you. Please also listen and subscribe to our colleague, Dr. Tom Villanueva's Modern Practice Podcast on Vizian's Medical Leadership Channel. Tom discusses key healthcare trends through the clinical leadership lens. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.